0: Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Erin and Sarah's Podcast. Um, Today, we do not have Sarah, which is just such a relief. It is just me your favorite foster, Aaron, and we have Marley Steinman. It's a very interesting episode. It's about fertility journeys. Marley is, she has a very unique job. She's a surrogacy consultant. And so I don't think that there's many of them out there. Um, She wants to just basically help parenthood possible for everybody and help you navigate it. And so um, she works with people who are going through IVF and need guidance, people who are looking for potential surrogate or egg donor or sperm donor. And she just, kind of helps you navigate everything she sort of um she'll help you build a team around you and guide you every step of the way and it makes it less stressful and help you just focus on what's important instead of all the stress around it so she's doing god's work people and even if you're not somebody who's going through fertility issues she we talk a lot about how to support someone who is so if you have someone in your life who's going through this kind of the right things to say the things that we beg you to please not say to that person um and uh marley has been through it herself she went through a fertility journey and she also is a uh, licensed psychologist marriage and uh family therapist so she knows what she's talking about and even if you aren't having fertility issues good for you but you should listen to this anyway because there's information for everyone this is the episode hi Hi, Marley. It's early. It's 8.30 in the morning.
1: (laughs) Yes, it sure is.
0: Um, Sorry about that. I apologize. I've had to do a funny schedule lately. No Um, worries. Up at 5 with the kids. So (laughs) You're up at 5 a.m.? Yes. Oh, Sarah and I are very triggered by women who are able to get up at 5 a.m.
1: Oh, I'm not able. There's no option. Before (laughs) kids, it was like 9 (laughs) (gasps) a.m.
0: Okay, that makes me feel better. So it's like you don't want to wake up at 5. You just have no choice.
1: No, no, no. It's the last thing I want to do is wake up at 5.
0: Okay, so we have dabbled in talking about fertility on our podcast. We have a lot of female listeners. Um, We have a lot of women who kind of don't... I mean, a lot of people just don't know a lot about what's going on. They don't know what's going on in their body. They don't know when they should be asking questions. Sometimes you wait until it's too late. And, um, And honestly, there's a lot about what you do that I even don't know a lot about. And I unfortunately know a lot about this stuff. So... Why don't you start by giving us a background on your um, career and how you got here, like um, career-wise and personally?
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks, Aaron. So, I mean, I will definitely say like speaking to what you said about like a women don't know what's going on. I think that that is like probably the biggest problem that we're dealing with. In you know, fertility is that there's so many things like that are thought of from a medical perspective, like, you know, making sure you get your mammograms, making sure you do those things, like when you go to the OB stuff that you're told about. But the thing is, is from our in our whole lives, we're told like, don't get pregnant you know, practice abstinence, use a condom, whatever it is. And so how would we ever know that the thing that we're supposed to be able to do biologically, you know, some of us get to a point where we can't, and maybe it's because of age, maybe it's just because of our anatomy, but there's just really not a lot of information that's given to us about our fertility, about these possibilities so that we can advocate for ourselves, number one, in understanding. And number two, maybe doing things we can to preserve our fertility or to have knowledge so that it puts us in a better place. I think a lot of women, myself included, feel like the blanket gets ripped out from underneath us when we go to start conceiving and we have problems. And then it feels like, okay, now we have to be in a place to figure this out. So, for myself personally, um, you know, I was a marriage and family therapist for about 12 years in private practice, seeing people specializing infertility, also, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that. And I went through my own about five years of infertility, um, lots of miscarriages, really difficult time getting eggs. Um, and it was a really challenging process. Ended up, I, you know, ended, using, ended up using a gestational surrogate um which was also challenging getting to the point of being able to get pregnant with the surrogate um, and, you know, finally, as you had, you know, said, you know, this idea just about getting to the happy ending, getting to the point of like all the things that you go through, it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to see the hope because there are no guarantees when you're going through it. And, you know, people want to say, you'll get there and it'll happen. And, you know, just don't stress. But it's like, you feel, how do you know it'll happen? You know, I, we don't know. It's literally
0: my hell when someone, <laughs> and I know, and I've said this before, Yeah, I have to, I've I've gotten around. To a, to a place of having forgiveness for people and like patience yeah. for people because they don't know what to say because there isn't a right thing to say unless yeah. unless you can tell me what the right thing to say is but I can tell you yeah. what the wrong thing to say is. The wrong <laughs> thing to say is just don't think about it people don't realize it feels mean. It's like you're saying to someone, you're doing something wrong by stressing. If you relaxed, you would get pregnant. If you yes. stopped thinking about it, it would happen. And it really makes you believe it. And, totally. and it just feels like such an unfair thing to say to someone because you're putting it, which I think happens to women a lot. We feel blame for the things that are going wrong with us. It's the same way that a woman who is raped feels like somehow she's responsible because of the way that people talk to her about it. Like it feels the same way with fertility issues is this responsibility that if we are too stressed or if we're eating the wrong things or if we're having a glass of wine, that it's our fault we're not getting pregnant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we feel so much shame because it's this thing that we're supposed to be able to do that we can't, we have no control over. So when people say things, I think, you know, people do want to help. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is sometimes people just want to make it better. And that's the, you know, their feeling is like, they want you to feel better. They don't like seeing you in pain. So they want to make it better. So instead of saying like, you know, yeah, I really get that this feels unknown and scary. And I can't imagine what you're going through. It kind of turns into like, oh, well, if you're less stressed or if you do this or if you see this doctor, if you see this magic acupunctures and then it just makes you feel like you're saying that these things are in my control and they're not. And I hear so many women talk about this sense of like, you know, going to their friend's baby showers or maybe their sister has a million kids and the anger and resentment and feeling like I'm not that person. I'm happy for my friends. Why is this happening to me? And it's like, because it's human nature. You know, I remember when I was going through it, like the rage and anger that I felt all the time was just so big. And I think it's hard because we're dealing not only with the infertility, not only with our bodies, like not doing what they're supposed to, but we're also dealing with our emotions plus the hormones, it's like a cocktail platter of like a nightmare, you know, it really Combo is, platter. And
0: there really isn't, I mean, I know it's, it's relatively new, the concept of um, being able to make embryos in a lab and use a surrogate and all this stuff. So we haven't really caught up, but there is, I don't think people realize this. There is no help in the emotional or physical side of what is going on with you when you're getting your eggs frozen, when you're doing you know, embryos, the shots that you're taking, there is like, there is no um, guidance. Like I remember the first time I did it and I was so confused by how depressed I felt afterwards, this like hormonal crash that I went through. And I, it didn't even occur to me that it was from this thing that I had done three months ago because nobody talked to me about it. No one said, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable or here are some supplements that will help you feel better again and regulate you. Like even like, I mean, I've done this more times than I'm willing to admit. But even this last time in December, I was having like horrible hot flashes and night sweats and no one had any answers for me. And And then I, uh, I reached out to this acupuncturist that I had worked with in New York and he said, um, drink raspberry tea and take Chasteberry. And I'd never even heard of this before. I was like, what the hell is Chasteberry? Took Chasteberry, within 24 hours, my night sweats and my hot flashes went away. And I was like- "Wow." why hasn't anyone ever told me about this before? I, I asked my doctor about it. She'd never heard of it. Like there's just this gap. There's like so many holes and yeah. you don't have like a psychologist that comes and sees you after, you know, the, you see women in these doctor's offices that the first few times I did, I was alone. I was single and it's so hard and you don't have like, okay, here's your appointment time and then go have a 30 minute conversation with this psychiatrist who's going to talk to you about yeah what
1: you're going to feel like afterwards. Yeah. And honestly, Erin, like same, like I was married and I still kind of felt, you know, my husband's very supportive, but I still kind of felt alone because it's like, it's my body. It's what I'm going through. And it's really hard unless you're in those shoes as a woman to fully understand. Cause you know, men sort of understand hormones, but to a certain extent. So I think for me, that's why I kind of wanted to transition into helping people in a more concrete way because I saw those gaps in fertility and also in third party, um, you know, just was a lack of, you know, there are good therapists and people who specialize in, in this, but, you know, a lack of support all around other than, you know, being navigated by your doctor and kind of feeling overwhelmed and in the dark and scared. Um, and then, you know, just on top of it, waiting for the outcome, not knowing how things are going. It's really a lot for one person to kind of manage. Yeah,
0: it really is. And so you had said something before about how when you were a therapist before you had fertility issues, you were still specializing in a lot of um, fertility patients, people who are dealing with fertility challenges. So was it a coincidence that you were focusing on that and then you ended up struggling with fertility yourself? Yes.
1: Um, You know, I was really focused on building my career. You know, I wanted to be a therapist and that took me some time. Um, And then, you know, so I didn't start trying super early. um, So I really didn't know that I would have fertility issues. Nobody had told me, like, get your AMH checked, try and understand, you know, what your levels are, the possibility of freezing your eggs. Like, no one had given me any of that information. So yeah, I actually didn't know until I started, you know, I got married and I started trying to get pregnant and started having miscarriages. So it was kind of an an ironic thing that I had been treating people and then went on to have my own journey myself. I mean, it did give me, you know, of course, more empathy and understanding of it. But I think that's sort of how I transitioned into third party as well, because I really saw um, this trajectory of emotions, which is really incredible of like getting to a point where you start out feeling like grief, right? Not everyone, everyone's experience is different, but for me grief of like this is not the way I saw my life, this is not what I wanted, this is not what I pictured, this is not how I saw my friends doing things or my family, um this is not what I want, but knowing that like I want to have a child, so like I kind of have to put both feet in front of me and do what I need to do and kind of really processing through all that and the trajectory of how I felt in the beginning the middle and where I got to at the end and where I'm at now, it's like, so it was so hopeful and inspiring and beautiful and amazing. And then that I really wanted to help people in a different way. And at the same time, such gaps, like you were saying in support, in, you know, having somebody hold your hand, not only at a concrete level of like, okay, let's do this in digestible steps. Let's make this less overwhelming. Let's make this you know, less anxiety provoking so you can kind of be excited about the process and what you're getting to. And also just from an emotional level, you know, for me, I feel like I feel lucky and grateful to be able to be with people on this journey because I know it is the most personal, (laughs) intimate, difficult, amazing thing, you know, that a woman can go through. And so, you know, for me, that just like was so incredible to, to watch kind of like the progression of it. And so that's why I wanted to get involved in a different way.
0: That's amazing. I, I really relate to what you're saying. I think that's the probably most common through line with with people going through this is, you know, we have if you have a primal instinct to be a parent, it's this like thing that's just deep in you that you can't make go away. And if you don't have that, honestly, good for you. Live your amazing life and sleep (laughs) until nine and like don't have kids and like be amazing aunts and uncles because that's a fucking amazing life and can be fantastic for your marriage. But (laughs) if you do have that need, you can't make that go away. And and you have this primal desire to be a parent and you have an idea of how it's going to go and you think that you should just be capable of it naturally. And at least my experience has has been similar to what you said where you keep negotiating your away your way away from what you wanted and even at the base level of finding out you're pregnant by a surprise instead of finding out from your doctor you know or or planning sex and scheduling sex and which takes the fun out of it or or even, you know, I, I mean, I'm still just bummed that I'm going to be such an old fucking mom. I mean, I did not plan on being this goddamn old when I started my journey. Like, I look at Sarah and I'm like, it, she already has a 12-year-old. So she gets to be like a young, totally. cool mom. And, and I remember when I was growing up and kids who had like really old parents, you're like, oh, god, like, that's not cool, you know, and I'm going <laughs> to be one of them. So you have all these ideas of what you... You're like, this is not how I wanted it to go. And then you go through the, the challenges and, and sometimes find out that you can't have children or you are going to have such a hard time or it's going to cost so much money that you can't go through that process. So then you have to start negotiating your way, your way away from what you wanted, which would mean egg donor, sperm donor, surrogacy, adoption, you know, all these things that you didn't see for yourself. And, um, and it is really hard to let go you know, I never know. I'm like, okay, when am I becoming that crazy person that like isn't realizing they should give up, and and when is it time? Like, when is it time to call it and and make a different choice? You know, because you do have so many people in your life always saying, um, "Oh my god, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen," and and they don't know. You, you know, and and how much time do you want to waste like chasing something if it's not you know naturally happening? So, so so your role really is helping people be more comfortable with those phases and embracing them instead of, I guess, rejecting them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of calls, Aaron, with people saying the same thing, just feeling like I'm at this crossroads, right? Where it's like, I don't 100% have to use a circuit or I don't 100% have to use an ignorant, but like the chances I'm going to be able to do this another way are not great, you know? And so kind of thinking about like, when do I go down these other roads? Um, So I think that that's definitely something and it was the same thing for me, you know, kind of figuring that out. So I feel like for me, my role at a concrete level is, you know, to advocate for my clients, because for me, what is most important for that, what is most important is that they get what they want, they feel as happy and comfortable in the process as they can. Um, And I'm really invested at that at a personal level. Um, So, you know, I kind of go at it from that perspective. So at a concrete level, that means kind of helping them find a surrogate or a donor or sperm donor, egg donor, you know, helping them navigate that process. And, you know, I try the very best I can to, because I do remember what it was like. So to have that patience, to have that understanding, because I know that it's not an easy process. And so kind of starting there and then also to kind of, you know, because it isn't necessarily like you get to a point of acceptance right away, or you start doing that and you're like, okay, so I have all these fears, you know, for me with the surrogate, like I was like, okay, is this baby going to be like, who is this lady? You know, am I going to get there? Am I going to love this kid? Or is it going to feel like I didn't carry it? So like, what's happening here? Like I had so many fears. So I started talking to a lot of people, like just using my resources and trying to get an understanding of what other people's experiences were because I I was fearful. So I think a lot of people going into this have those same experiences. And and like I was saying, it's not like you get to that right away where it's like, okay, now this is super exciting because not only are you dealing with that, but you're dealing with disappointments along the way, over and over and over. So when you're getting into it, you're kind of like, yeah, so I'm doing this. We'll see. You know, know, it's not like it feels like, okay, great. I'm here. I've made it. So I And by the
0: way, what a strange thing to be embarking on the most important decision of your entire life, this human being that you're gonna be connected to for the rest of your life. And you're doing it in a way that you don't feel that great about.
1: Totally. And that's the thing is like, I tell people, it's like, that's okay. Like you don't have to feel good about it. A lot of people don't initially, like that's where we're at. We're human. It's same as like, it's any kind of grieving process of like, this is the way I thought my life would look. And this is not the way it's looking. So that's a process. It's not just overnight of like, okay, this is my journey. So now I'm just thrilled. But I will say the magic of it for me is there is for most people, a transition that happens, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not right away. But through the process and getting to the end of it, it's kind of like for me and a lot of people I've seen go through this, it's like you get to a point where then you have, you know, you go on this road and you sort of see the 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 light at the end of the tunnel. And, you you know, hopefully you do get to the point where you see, you know, you get to have what you've wanted this whole time and it makes the investment worth it. And you see that like, the way that you ended up going is beautiful too. And in some cases more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Like for me, it was. Like the surrogacy birth was more than I ever expected. Um, And where it got me to in my life now is also was such a major turn, but I'm grateful. And I see that in a lot of people that like start that way and end up you know, with this experience. It's like every time I have a baby born, like of a client or a friend that goes through this, whether it's a donor or a sperm donor or both or a surrogate. And it's like, I like, I cry every time because I'm just like the miracle, you know, and seeing people get what they want, even when it's in a way that they never wanted. I think sometimes it's just a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, that
1: really is beautiful.
2: Um, okay, so Aaron and I are always trying to find ways to make your life better. This, and one, this one is very cool. This is very cool. This is something I wish that, you know, well, actually, no, I, didn't, I don't wish that I had because exactly. I met my person. Yeah, you don't wish you had. You wish you had it 20 years ago. Yeah. Which is at this place.
0: It is a app called Talkify. It is matchmaking meets kind of like a dating app. Basically, you go on there. And yeah, you, but it's real people. It's, it's not like uh, it's real people. Right. It's real people looking at what you're interested in, what's important to you, and then they match you with certain people. So So the
2: matchmakers, they meet you, they learn everything about you, they figure out, um, you know, like what it is you're looking for in a partner, and then they select and they screen potential candidates for you. They do background checks, video interviews, they ask all the tough questions that are mm-hmm. like way too embarrassing to ask on a first date, but that you want to know. Mm-hmm. So it's real people like doing this. It's not a computer. Yeah, because everyone's complaining now about dating apps. There's just so many people on them and it's just like so much riffraff. It's basically like going on a dating app, but having it curated for yeah. you. Okay, so 80% of clients, 80% met their person. Within the first 12 matches. That's good data. Very good. So,
0: right now, Talkify is offering our listeners 20% off when you become a client at talkify.com slash foster. That's T A W K I F Y dot com slash foster for 20% off when you become a client. Talkify.com slash foster. I was just asked the other day, Aaron, do you really use Bull and Bridge? I said, Sophia. Yes, I do. I do use Bolin Branch, and you should too.
2: I always laugh when people are like, but do you really use it? We're like, you guys, we know you're going to come for us if things are bad. Yes, we really do use it. Bull and Branch, they're the only sheets that I have on my bed, on my kid's bed, on mom's bed. Uh, all my friends use it now. Um, I think people get nervous. They're like, okay, if it's organic, does that mean it's like not soft. Mm-hmm. It's soft. And of course, you have to wash it and wash it and it only gets better. But we love mm-hmm. our Bowling Branch. Not only do I use the sheets, I use the inserts, I use the pillows, I use the actual duvet, I use towel. But hold I mean, there's nothing else for me to
0: say. You really did it all. So shop their spring sale now to get 20% off your order. Promo code is foster15 at bowlandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code foster fifteen. Exclusions apply, see site for details, but that is 20% off your order. Just on a baseline level, because not everyone understands the process, can you explain to people like what a surrogate is and why someone yeah. would need a surrogate? And can you explain for people sort of the different lanes of why you would need one thing over the other? And and I want to ask you, because I've no, I think that this is true, but it just seems so insane to me that... The surrogate, who is the person carrying the child, you'll explain that, doesn't actually share any DNA with your baby and doesn't pass anything between the two of them. Like that seems insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. When I first started learning about this, I was like, sorry, is this like Baby Mama, the movie with Tina Fey? Like I was like, what's happening? And my husband's French and he was like, this isn't even... Fucking legal? <laughs> you yes. know what I mean, like, what is going on? Um, because in France it's not. So we had like no idea. Oh, okay. Well, let's yeah. circle back to that. Okay, so explain
0: what it all is.
1: Yeah, a lot of people come internationally here because for that reason, because it's not legal in a lot of other countries. So basically, there are a lot of reasons why somebody could need a surrogate. Um, you know, starting from what I'm seeing a lot of is endometriosis unfortunately, it's taking about 10 years for women to be diagnosed with endometriosis on average and some women not at all. And so from a young age, if you have endo and you know it's been there for a long time, sometimes it can kind of impact the uterus in a way that makes it impossible to carry. Um, sometimes surgery is done uh, to be able to, to remove it so that you can, but sometimes, unfortunately, it's, the surgery is not enough. Can you explain um, so that's- what endometriosis is? Endometriosis, well, not speaking from like, you know, I'm not a medical expert, but from my understanding of endometriosis, it's basically when tissue grows outside the uterus and, and you know, can form on different organs and it can cause a lot of issues around the menstrual cycle. It can cause infertility um, and those that tissue or lesions can be removed. But sometimes what can happen over a period of time is it can, you know, from being from being there for so many years, it can damage the uterus so that your uterus is no longer like quote unquote a virgin uterus and mm-hmm. it can then cause difficulty with implantation and being able to you know get pregnant or keep a pregnancy. you know there are tests that you can do endometrial function test, things like that that can sometimes um you know decipher if your endometrium is if the lighting is not normal and that sometimes can signify, um, can point to endometriosis, but technically, as you know, the only way to fully diagnose it, diagnose it is laparoscopy, which is, you know, minimally invasive surgery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's true. Um,
0: okay, so, so you could need a surrogate, which is a person that's going to carry the child for you. If yeah. you have endometriosis, which could cause damage to your uterus and make you yeah. not a great carrier.
1: Yeah, and a lot of women also, you know, sometimes maybe they have like... Um, you know, a shaped uterus that is not great for implantation. Maybe they have a unicorn uterus, which is like a, a where you're born with a certain, um, like a smaller uterus or issues that make it difficult or scary, like, you know, high chances of having problems. A lot of women use a surrogate for their second time because maybe their first baby, they got like, um, they got, you know, presentia previa or they had a baby super early, you know, or maybe they hemorrhage and they needed a hysterectomy for whatever reason, their first delivery um, had problems. And so maybe they need one for their second, Um, maybe of a septum or something else that, you know, is an issue for caring. And then some people, you know, I do have people, clients who maybe have like lupus or who have are um, immu- immunocompromised in some way, um, that carrying a pregnancy would be detrimental. Another thing that's very common, unfortunately, is women who've suffered from cancer um, and either they no longer have eggs or they're on cancer medicines, like medications that prevent them from the cancer coming back and they can't carry on those medications. I have a question. Well, sorry. Oh, just, go ahead. I just wanted
0: to know, you know, not in a judgy way, but do you have a lot of clients who just don't want to carry their child? You know, I don't. Um, For the most part, I think... Because you hear rumors in LA about girls, women who just don't want to get fat and they just don't want to gain weight and they just don't want to like have to get their bodies back. And so they're like, I'll just, you know, farm this out to somebody else.
1: You know, I have some women that like don't want to because maybe they were really sick in their first pregnancy and they couldn't manage. And so being pregnant was just so challenging on their body. But I actually don't really have clients who just... I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, celebrities or people out there who like, you know, maybe for their job, want to stay thin. But I have yet to have somebody come to me just saying like, I don't really, I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to carry for the most part. Maybe it's my referral sources because they come from clinicians or from people, clients of clients. But I've yet to Mm -hmm. to see that. I'm sure it happens, but... Right.
0: Okay. All right. That's comforting to know. Because I'm sure there's like good reason here and there. But I was hoping that it wasn't like overwhelmingly women that are just like oh, if I don't have to do this, then I don't want to do it.
1: Well, no. And I think that's also not really like by clinicians. I think that that's not really something that they like, like to do. I mm-hmm. get the sense, you know, to just like, I mean, anyone who wants to use a surrogate can, but I think typically it's not, you know, I think it's not it's something people do as often as like some kind of reason, whether they're mm-hmm. sick in their previous pregnancy or they have some kind of, you know, health condition that prevents them from being safe in a pregnancy. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So that, so a surrogate is the person that's going to carry the child for you because they have been proven to be a good, healthy carrier. And, um, and you're not able to, because of some sort of physical reason that your body is not a good carrier for your child, but that child will still have all of your DNA, um, and your partner's DNA. It will not have any of the DNA of the woman carrying the child. Um, and so what kind of women want to be surrogates? And like, can you give us an idea of how much it costs? Yeah, of
1: course. So, you know, the cost ranges. Right now we are in this environment where there is an abundance of intended parents. That's what people thats what people are called when they are having using a gestational surrogate as an intended parent. Um, so, and there's a lack of surrogates due to, not necessarily a lack, but I would say the demand is higher than the availability of surrogates. Um, and so, you know, we're in this environment where there's waiting lists and things like that to be able to use a surrogate. Um, so I would say in terms of fee, it, it depends on if you're using a California surrogate. There are, are several states where surrogacy is friendly and legal. You can get a pre-birth order, which means the, you know, you have parental rights for the baby's even born. California is a very, very popular state. As we were kind of talking about, people internationally are coming from all over the world, um, To the states to do surrogacy because there are so many states in which it's not or countries in which it's not legal. So I would say you're looking at anywhere from like at the bare minimum 130 thousand to like 225 thousand. dollars You know, to use a surrogate, I would say it changes if you know somebody who can be your surrogate because Mm. then of course you just need an attorney and you save a lot of money. But I would say if you're, you know, or maybe if you're using a first time surrogate in another state, you know, you can get the cost down. Um, But, you know, I always say that like it's good to be comfortable in the range because, you know, you never know what's going to happen or, you know, what the need is going to be. Are you,
0: is that the fee like, is that an all inclusive number for the process? Or are you saying that's just her fee?
1: No, that is uh, all inclusive for the process. So that's including her fee, that's including. Um, insurance that's including legal. The only thing it doesn't include is the fertility doctor cost because those are kind of separate. So what your fertility doctor costs for the medical screen, for the transfer, if you do a mock cycle for that, um, and then the meds, all of that stuff, but it does include the OB care um, and all those other things.
0: So now um, how much can you, and maybe it varies. You tell me, I mean, I'm like a psycho about, I don't think of it as being a psycho, but I'm like very, very vigilant about eating organic and clean living and non-toxic. Yeah. And if I were ever to use a surrogate, I would be like wanting to control every single thing she's saying, doing, feeling, thinking, eating, smelling. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. What can you do?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, different people feel differently about this. Some people are like, just, you know, don't drink and, you know, keep the baby safe. And like, just that's it. And then some people are like, really important to me to have a non-toxic lifestyle, you know, non-toxic body products, organic food. And I think it's really about the right match. So that is so important with a surrogate is matching with somebody who wants similar communication, who has a similar um, idea about like what they're willing to do, um, so a lot of intended parents do request that their surrogate eat organic when they can use these, you know, non-toxic body products and makeup when they can. Um, and as long as you're willing to reimburse, so pay for maybe a Whole Foods or a food service, send non-toxic body products, um, a lot of surrogates are open to that, um, you know, to open to, you know, doing that at your request, the intended parents request. Um, and then that's put into the contract and, you know, of course it's never perfect, right? If they're out or, you know, they have kids and a family, but most of them will do their very best.
0: You cannot have a live camera following them all the time, monitoring (laughs) their behavior.
1: That would be an interesting reality show, right? Yeah, it
0: would. I'd like to (laughs) be the first person to sign up for that. And I'm like, um, excuse me, that candy is not on our approved list. And I saw you (laughs) eating it. Um, okay. So, so tell me about the women who want to be surrogates.
1: Yeah, so, you know, lots of these women, most of these women have, you know, had really easy pregnancies. They enjoy being pregnant. You know, most of them haven't been sick. Um, a lot of them have had family or friends who've gone through some kind of challenge with fertility, so they have an awareness about the struggle. Um, so that's sometimes part of it. Of course, a lot of times there is a financial component because they do get paid. Um, but I would say it's not a component of it's not a thing of like, oh, I need to pay my bills um, or eat or send my kids to school. It's usually like, I want to save for a house or I want to put in th- in my college. But you know, the things of, that a lot of us are, you know, struggling and, and, need, um, extra help to do. Um, so a lot of them have dreams and they're, you know, for their families and this is a way to help them get there. Um, but I would also say that, you know, sometimes people ask me a lot of the times when they're embarking on this process, like, how do I know that they're not drinking? How do I know that they just like, this isn't just a job to them. So they're doing it and they're not going to take care of my baby because they're not going to be the ones to raise the baby. And what I will say is it's kind of that concept when you have kids and you have the child as a friend over, it's like you're watching that child's friend more than you are your child, because the last thing you want is is, you know, a kid to break their you know, arm on your watch, you know, you're extra responsible. And I see that kind of being the same thing with a surrogate, because if you think about it, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility in caring someone else's child and the pressure that they feel to do a good job. And, you know, they see these people who this is like their dream their whole life is to have a baby. So the last thing they would ever want is to do anything to jeopardize that. And a lot of these women really care and really, you know, want to be able to do something. It's like, you think about how you and I feel, right? When we do something for someone else, how good does it feel to like be there for someone or to help somebody in need? Because it gives us selfishly and not in a bad way, but like, oh, I feel really good about myself. You know, It takes me out of my life and it's my a real, troubles. Uh, it's
0: a real mitzvah you're doing for these couples. Totally. It's, so, it's it's not, so it's not like Amy Poehler and Baby Mama.
1: No, it's not. As much as, you know, we think it is when we start, it's not. And the nice thing too is like, it's the ultimate mitzvah, right? When you're giving a birth to a baby and you see the look on those parents or parents' face, there's no greater, I mean, I'm sure there is, but in that moment for you, there's no greater purpose in life than like, I remember my surrogate saying that, like, I feel like it's the fact that I was able to do this for you just brings me so much happiness. Mm. And seeing you and these kids is like, and I think that that really is the case for them. And often their families, if they are married or they do have kids, like their family is also invested in this baby. And the other thing I will say too, I want to speak to you really quickly. I don't want to talk your ear off, but while I'm on this topic with a surrogate, is a lot of intended parents are concerned. Like, what if she's a, what if she wants to keep the baby? What if she yes, a I want to the know baby? Like, what are her rights? Yeah. So legally, you know, especially in California, and if you have a good lawyer, it's very black and white. You know, if you're working with a state where surrogacy is friendly, the surrogate has no rights. It's very spelled out from the beginning that this is your baby. This is whether it's your DNA or not. Because even if you're using an egg donor. You still those eggs; those eggs are yours once they come out legally. So, regardless of whether it's it's you or a donor, the baby's yours. It's your rights. So that surrogate doesn't even really have the right to hold the baby without your permission when the baby comes. Um, and so the other when thing a surrogate too is,
0: gives birth, is there like security standing by?
1: <laughs> no, I mean when the security when the sur- surrogate gives birth, it's like it's really incredible because you know the intended parents or parent if they do choose to be in the room. I mean, you're basically like catching that baby. Like you don't even wow. really notice that there are like female body parts hanging out and organs, all <laughs> these things. You're just like, oh my god! The moment of like being so sober and like aware and like watching this baby come into the world is like so crazy. So, is
0: the is the dad partner like holding the surrogate's hand while she's giving birth, or holding like his partner's hand?
1: You mean the you mean the da- the intended dad or the surrogate's partner? Intend intended dad. Well, I think it's kind of the preference of the intended parents and usually the surrogates come comfortable with. But most of the time, surrogates are like, sure, come on in. You know, they're doing this for you. So it's kind of like, in some way, can be unfulfilling for them if, um, if you know, there's no one really involved. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, my husband was like, we were both like at the, at the bottom, catching <laughs> the babies, like, you know, cutting the cords, like the whole thing. Wow. So our surrogate was joking. She's like, you guys have all seen my insides. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible. So, um, you know, most surrogates will tell you that like, they feel kind of about the baby as like an auntie would or like somebody like they care about the baby and they want the baby to be healthy, but they don't, usually they're done with having kids. They don't want more kids. They're thrilled to get the baby out, give it to you and be on with it. Um, so it's mostly just like a care for the baby, but I've never, ever spoken to a surrogate who feels like the, the baby's theirs. They want the baby. There's a okay, connection that's a, inappropriate. Yeah.
2: Okay, Vegamore. Vegamore, don't even need to look on the page. Vegamore, it has transformed my hair. It's transformed Valentina's hair. The lather is amazing. We use the shampoo and the conditioner. Mm-hmm. Also, the um, lash growing serum. Use mm-hmm. them on the eyebrows. Makes your eyebrows grow. Mm-hmm. This stuff is so great. They also have like a 90 day money back guarantee, which is a sign that they know their shit is good because yeah. if you're willing to take things back 90 days later, you just know it's not coming back. The thing I love about it is that it's um it's supposed to help you your hair get thicker and healthier and fuller, but they use a
0: holistic approach. So it's all smart botanicals Um, and it is never
2: any hormones, no parabens. And it's all cruelty free and no harmful chemicals. People ask me, they're like, "Wait, do you take, do you use Vegamore? Use that supplement? You use all of it. The Vegamore is not a supplement. The Vegamore is external. The Vegamore is the shampoo. The I don't think it's just the Vegamore. It's just Vegamore. Yeah, whatever. It's not the Vegamore. I was a customer long before they were doing ads on our podcast. Okay. Anyway, don't let damage of the past fold your hair back. See your hair's
0: full potential with Vegamore. Vegamore. Go to. Vegamore.com slash foster and use the code foster to save 20% on your first order. That is V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash foster. Code foster to save 20% at Vegamore.com. You sound
2: unwell (laughs) when you go Vegamore. Well, it sounds out. It
0: it puts the dashes in there for you. Like I feel like there's a better way to say it. Okay, guys, I have
2: something to say about Athletic Greens, what you're using it now a lot. I'm in the writer's room and one of our writers, Neil, has been, I'm not bragging. It's just the truth. A lot of bragging with you
0: lately. Okay. And Neil comes in with his little, he shakes up that athletic greens. And just the other day, one of the writers, Noelle said, what's that stuff you're drinking? And he said, athletic greens, it gives me energy. It's like, I'm lazy. I don't eat enough vegetables. So this is what I do to replace it. But not because of you.
2: Not because it means he actually had no idea that we had anything to do with it. I thought the follow-up was going to be like, and I introduced them, but no. didn't. But then Noelle said, well, should I get it? I said, yes,
0: I gave her our code. She's never listened to our podcast. I'm so sorry. Athletic Greens, do not get upset with me, but I did
2: give her our code. She does list. not listen to our podcast? She does not listen to our podcast. Well, that's an issue. I'll have a talk with her about it. I mean, you should. But she's going to use our code anyway. Here's the thing about Athletic Greens, you guys. You get all the things you need in one scoop. Normally, to get all the things that this one scoop provides, you have to take like 50 pills. Who's doing that? No one's doing that. Mm -hmm. So Athletic Greens makes it easy. It is one scoop first thing in the morning in your water, in your juice, whatever, your smoothie. Mm -hmm. And you're done for the day. Mm -hmm. And it helps you with mood, immune system,
0: sleep support, sustained energy, so much more. Uh, AG1 has been a game changer for me and I can't wait for you all to try it. If it's not for you, there's a 90 day
2: money back guarantee. Another business that knows they're killing it because they know it's not coming back. That's why they give a 90 day guarantee. Exactly. So take control of your health today and AG1 will give you a free one year supply
0: of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash foster. That is athleticgreens.com slash foster. Check it out. Typically, how many times would one woman become a surrogate? Like how many times would she get pregnant?
1: Um, well, some women are second time surrogates or third time surrogates. It really depends. ASRM guidelines um, usually require for a surrogate, the maximum is five times, five five births. Not five times to be a surrogate, but five births. Maybe some doctors are flexible. Some doctors say four So it depends on how many kids they have themselves. So say they have two kids, you know, maybe they've been a surrogate three times or they have three kids, maybe in surrogate twice or some surrogates just do it once. It kind of depends on what their body allows, what they want to do and then what the doctor, of course, clears them for.
0: And is there any um, like relationship typically that the surrogate ends up having with the child? Like, I don't know. I mean, if I was the child of a, if I was born from a surrogate, I might want to like know that person or it would just be like a bond or some kind of weird connection or is that like standard or allowed?
1: Yeah I mean really this is completely up to what the intended parents and surrogate kind of plan on that's why I always say like it's important for the intended parents to think and talk about what it is they want and of course you never know for sure what you want until to you go through the journey but like what you're open to because you really want to match with a surrogate who's open to the same thing. But absolutely, some intended parents have the baby. Um, They send the surrogate a picture or two in the first two years and that's kind of it. Some intended parents, myself included, I do still have a relationship with my surrogate. Her name, you know, her name's Beth. I call her Auntie Beth. Like, you know, I want someday I will tell my kids and I want them to be able to know her. Um, She's a gem of a person. Her family is too. And, you know, when I first started this, I was like, no, 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 I want to do this and like, I, I, and kind of like move on. Like I had no idea that I wanted any kind of, you know, because I was still struggling with it and felt inadequate, you know, and I didn't want any situation to make me feel more insecure, like a relationship. But I think when I got to the end and I saw what it was like, and as a mom now, I'm like, oh yeah yeah, I would love for them to have a relationship. That brings me to sort of the shame around it
0: and the quietness around it. And I want to know from you sort of like the mystery around this, you know, I understand why it's so funny because my producer Allison's texting me going like, you know, find out why there's so much mystery around this. And for to me, I understand why there's mystery around it because not everyone wants to admit it or talk about it. Um, but secrecy around it kind of participates in the shaming for other women who aren't able to do it with yeah. their egg, their sperm, their egg, their partner's yeah. sperm, you know, their body. Um the openness makes other women yeah. feel better about the journey they're on,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard, I think, because like, you know, speaking to the shame of it and speaking to the, it's like there's this pressure, right? That like we compare ourselves to other people or other women. And there's this pressure to kind of like do things the way other people do. You know, it's like we're on Instagram and we see all these like gender reveals or people, you know, whatever it is. And I think the comparison culture right now and the way as women that we kind of feel. And so I think people struggle with their own inadequacy and their own like shame and, you know, maybe makes makes it feel like their way is less than. And so when people haven't dealt with that, sometimes they don't share it because what we, you know how it's that thing where we fit, we feel like what other people are going to see in us is really what we fear, what we see in ourselves. So I think when you haven't dealt with your own emotions around that, um, you are fearful of other people's judgment or other people's response and then it triggering you. So for example, I used a surrogate or used a donor and people, you know, kind of their responses being like, oh, I'm sorry, or they don't know what to say I'm sorry, or that's exciting. And then It triggers us and our own feelings. So I think people avoid, you know, they want to avoid all that. They want to avoid feeling whatever that is. And so sometimes hiding it allows them to kind of hide themselves, you know, hide their own fears, hide their own shame. And so I think I really recommend for people that are going through this, like, you know, therapy is so helpful. And that doesn't have to be like long term therapy, but like just processing through your feelings. There are people that specialize in infertility. And for me, it was super helpful, just processing the shame and what it meant for me and all of that you know, because I wasn't able, I'm a super open person too. I talked about everything. I'm not somebody who holds back at all, but I wasn't able to shout from the rooftops in the beginning. But I think because I really worked through my own feelings and the shame and inadequacy and feeling like my way was less than, and you know, how does that make me a less than mom? Or, you know, how will that change the way that other people see me? I think working through that really allowed me to share more um, because I think that that's like, what a lot of it is is people kind of not being able to deal with their own stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I th- I hope that it gets to a place where um, it's more and more normalized, so that women don't feel like they have to hide it or have to lie about yeah. it, because the community is so important. When you, like yeah. the only people that I really can hear advice from are totally. people who've been through it, and so the more we can talk about it the more community you have because going back to the original thing i was saying there just isn't a lot of support even for women who are going through it they don't even necessarily understand exactly what's happening in their body they don't understand what the hormones are doing to them they don't understand what's happening with the eggs or like you're just kind of in the dark and so you know, hopefully, I mean, listen. It's shitty that we're all in this process in this in this position anyway. You know, yeah. But if yeah, we have to be yeah. here, then hopefully we can yeah. talk to each other about it so
1: that we can help each other feel less shame around it. Totally, and that's the first thing when people call me, I offer too is like do you want me to connect you with someone, somebody who's used a donor, somebody who's used a surrogate, somebody who's done both, somebody who's had their first baby naturally and their second baby via surrogacy, because people struggle with that. Like, how am I going to explain to my first child that they were delivered by me and my second via surrogacy? Or, you know, my first baby was was my egg, my second baby's a donor. Like, there's a, everybody has a bunch of different, you know, situations. And so I really try and connect people with someone who maybe has gone through that. Because number one, like you said, like, connection is so huge and community when we're suffering. And number two, sometimes somebody else's insight, you know, in regard to going through the process can help you feel more at ease. And so I think it's really important, you know, for people who talk about it and connecting with other people, because you're right, like, when someone hasn't been through it, as much as they can empathize, like, you don't want to hear that, you know. Even if someone's trying to help you, it's like one of my friends. I, I this story always strikes me because she had she's going through it. She had a failed transfer. She had one more embryo, and it failed. She wrote, you know, us a, a girl our girlfriends on a group text, and people and she in the text she said, "Please don't respond. If you want to send an emoji, send an emoji. That's totally fine." But I please don't say anything. And so there were all these like emojis, like hearts. And it really struck me because it's true. It's like as much as people want to help, sometimes people's responses just make you want to jump out of your skin. And like,
0: you know... Yeah, because I think people's instinct is to say, it'll happen for you. It's going to happen. And you're like, but you actually don't know that. Yeah. So it's like, you don't want to waste energy believing it's going to happen. But you, you don't know if you should put your energy into thinking it's okay that it's not going to happen. Or just not thinking about it at all, which is what everybody wants you to be doing, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: yeah, it's like taking it one step at a time. And it's like, you know, the, that sense of like, it's going to happen. It's just, it's, people don't mean it, but it's dismissive. And you just don't feel heard and seen. And, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's but, a bit of a disconnect.
0: Yeah. But again, I mean, listen, I've, I've had, I've done podcast episodes where I've come and recorded recorded fresh off a failed egg retrieval like the day oh, of. And, and I'm just like bitter and I'm like yeah. pissed and I'm judging everyone and I'm mad at everyone who has children and I'm mad at everyone who, who's, you know, I remember I went on a, a thing about, you know, women who would say to me, oh, I know what you're going through because I've been having a hard time having my second. And I was like so triggered by it, you know, because I'm like, you know what it's like to have a, have a child. And then afterwards I felt so guilty because I was like, that's fucked up of me. Like everyone everyone gets to have it's it's meaningful to everyone it's hard for everyone and so I've been through many um different emotions on this podcast um some some I'm more proud of than others uh and um I honestly don't even know what the point of me saying that
1: was but But I think is I think to that like you get to have your feelings too you know and I get that like and I just because so many people tell me this like I'm such a jerk or I'm an asshole because like my, you know, I was like so mad or so resentful or maybe I wasn't happy for, you know, the neighbor who came running over because she's pregnant or whatever else. And I think that like none of us really feel that. None of us really feel like, you know, we don't want somebody else to have something wonderful. Of course we do, the people we love. But when we're in that space, the hormones with the combo of like all the disappointments and like feeling broken, it is a hundred percent. And I want to like make this very clear a hundred percent natural to feel angry, to feel resentful, to have those moments where you feel like, just shut up. You know, when people are talking, like Mm -hmm. it's natural, we're humans. Of course we feel that way. It doesn't mean that we're those kind of people. It means we're in that moment and that's okay. You know, we all go through it when we're dealing with this. It's just part Mm -hmm. of it. And you wouldn't be human. When you say that, it makes me think about
0: how, um, and people don't realize this, right? It's not anyone's fault. If you've never been through it, you have no idea what it's what it's like, so you don't even know what to think or what to what to ask. But you're in this position when you're, when you're struggling. And by the way, I'm very triggered by the word infertility or like infertile. I'm really triggered yeah. by that. Like, oh, dealing with infertility. Because to me, infertility means you can't get pregnant. And I hate the finality of that because yeah. you don't know unless you don't have your organs there anymore. And it's literally impossible. Yeah. You're not like saying infertile. I hate the idea. I hate that word. Um, when you're dealing with fertility issues... You know, it's the most natural thing in the world for people out in the world to say, oh, do you guys have kids? Are you trying for kids? Why don't you have kids? And so several times a week, you're put in a position where you either have to overshare and open up to a complete stranger or you have to lie to them. Yeah. Or you have to just act really weird and awkward and make the conversation turn and like walk away from them or shut down or like get awkward. Like there is no perfect way to do it. And so you're always playing this dance of like, how do I approach this? So it's natural that you just start to avoid situations. Like I know if I'm at a baby shower, which even if I'm fine being there, I see how other people look at me. I see that other people are uncomfortable because they feel guilty that it's even happening. And and so it's just, I think there are so many things you you aren't prepared to go through when yeah. you're going through this and it's understandable other people don't under, don't don't understand it
1: yeah absolutely it's like you're constantly put in a position to have to face it face your feelings face awkward situations and you know and when people find out they're pregnant you know maybe they tell other friends before you because they don't want to upset you but then they call you and tell you that and then you feel like okay great so now people are telling me things you know it's a whole host of like yeah, things. it's
0: a great way to become really paranoid and not want to leave your house. <laughs>
1: so. okay, just stay home.
0: Okay, I love green pandas. Love.
2: It is beyond important, you guys. It is very important to not cook with toxic materials. Can I interrupt you for a second? I actually think when we're talking to you guys always about green options, this might be one of the most important. It is very, very, like, very important. You need to cook in non-toxic cookware. If you're cooking in toxic cookware, those toxins are going into your food. Mm-hmm. They're called forever chem- chemicals for a reason. Yeah. You guessed it. You'll never
0: get rid of them. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to live with chemicals forever
2: in your body living there? I don't think so. Yeah. It's just, this is one of the easiest ways to switch over to clean living right here. And that is getting green pan. Get green cookware, you guys. It's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Yeah. Green pan is a great, great brand. They're lightweight. They're lightweight. They
0: have um, amazing ceramic cookware. It is so much healthier for you. It's been around since 2007. So, you know, they really are the ones who discovered the traditional nonstick pans were um, made with plastic coating and can turn toxic with heat. And so they were like the first ones to do it. So they know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, you need your pans to be made with ceramic. You need Green Pan. It's very simple. There's a 60-day return policy. Another company that knows it's not coming back. Exactly. And it's 2023. Are you still cooking with
0: pans that are made out of plastic? Please stop doing that. Head to greenpan.us and use the promo code FOSTER. You will get 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, it is 30% off. So please head to greenpan.us. Dot us and make sure you use our promo code foster let's
2: talk about article what we love about article is that it brings you this like modern aesthetic that feels very right first of all you always say that you're not right it has all they have all different kinds of aesthetic but they the have, pieces i gravitate to are the
0: modern pieces sure but you're making it sound like it's only modern it's also mid-century it's
2: also coastal industrial scandy boho What they've done is they've cut out the middleman, which is how they keep their prices to where they are, because the prices are not normal. Like Mm -hmm. when I first saw the prices of the chairs and the side table for the quality, the prices for the quality is there. Yes. I'm like, wait, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch here. It can't be this good. And then the product arrived. Oh, it's it's, that good. It is that good. It's that good. I'm just saying that's how they're able to keep the prices as low as they are because of cutting out the middleman. Yeah, exactly. It's expensive. Also, the outdoor furniture. Oh yeah. Very it. good right now. If you're looking to spice up your um, you know, radio, your deck, your patio, maybe like your little you have a little awning off your room. Like very good to use yeah. articles. So article is offering our listeners fifty dollars off your first
0: purchase of a hundred dollars or more to claim it, visit article.com slash foster and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. That's article.com slash foster for fifty dollars off your first purchase of a hundred dollars or more. Okay, so we have some questions from people um, on Instagram. Um, Yes. Have you met people who later regretted going for
1: surrogacy? No. Okay, well, that's good. No, I haven't. I mean, I'm sure there's people who it... I see, because I was going to say, like, I'm sure there's people it hasn't worked out for, you know? I mean, I hate Mm -hmm. to say that, but I'm sure it's the case. But even in that case, I think... You still, you never know until you try. So for me, I think if you can do it, regret is worse than like trying something and have not having it work out because at least you know. Um, So yeah, I've never met somebody who's regretted it.
0: Okay, well that's good to know. Yeah, Um, I mean we get asked this all the time, and it's not a black and white answer. But what age should you have your eggs checked?
1: Well. Listen, I mean I think knowledge is power always and so you can never go wrong by having more information. Yeah. Because if you do get your AMH check which will tell you your ovarian reserves and your FSH which is also another fertility level which is very easy you can do it at your OB um you don't even need to see a fertility doctor. It's just blood. it will give you a sense of what your timeline looks like. And so, you know, there are things you can do, like supplements, like acupuncture to preserve your eggs at a young age. There's also the freezing option. Um, And there's also, you know, maybe if you do have to think about third party and you know at an early age, you can start saving. It's expensive. Like, you know, you also have a choice of whether like, you know, for women these days, we're building our careers. We're, you know, we're wanting to make something of ourselves. A lot of us have dreams other than just having kids. So it's a little bit different than it used to be in other generations. And so I think being prepared and having a sense of how much time we could have is helpful for us to be able to make proactive decisions as opposed to like reactive. So Mm -hmm. I would say there's not really an age, but I mean, I think, you know, if you have OB care and you start to get into your like, you know, your later 20s, it can't hurt to, you know, ask for those numbers just to get a sense, maybe check it again in your 30s. Um, You know, because like I said, I see people have come to me, in their early 30s and maybe don't have any more eggs and people that come to me in their 40s and that's the case. So I think it kind of just depends on, you know, right. the if other thing is too... If you're thinking about it, then you should just go get it checked. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you've had, if you have issues with your period or you think you may have endo, you know, maybe go talk to your OB about it um, because fertility you know, is just as important as, you know, a- other medical things because it's something that we want to understand and preserve. And I think that's where maybe we have to advocate for ourselves because nobody is necessarily going to tell us, like, you know, start thinking about this.
2: Right. Right.
0: So someone was saying here, how does a regular person afford a surrogate? How much does it normally cost? Now, most people can't afford a couple hundred thousand dollars. So let's just say you, you know, went on Craigslist and found someone who's willing to carry your baby for
1: 10 grand. Is that legal? Well, I mean, as long as a surrogate's medically approved by your doctor and you have a legal contract by a reputable good attorney, it's not illegal. But I will say that, because sometimes, this isn't always the case, if you can't afford it, a good way is to try and find a family member, a friend, somebody who you know who's carried at least one baby that might be open to it. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, then you just need an attorney and it's definitely a more affordable way. You do need to be wary about Craigslist or Facebook or things like that because sometimes people that are women that are on there haven't maybe been accepted by agencies, medically, psychologically, whatever it is. So they might be trying to go outside of agencies. Um, Not always, but a lot of the times that can be the case um, because agencies do require vetting process and there's a lot of benefits for surrogates to go through agencies. So when a surrogate isn't, I think it does raise some questions. Mm -hmm. So I would be wary just about who you choose given that situation. Um, But I would say that, you know, trying for somebody you know, the other thing is, there are a few organizations that give out grants, Baby Quest being one of them. They have an event on May 4th, which is an amazing shopping event to raise money. And every year, twice a year, they give out grants for people either going through IVF, using surrogates, using donors, where they will pay for a certain percentage of it, or they will pay for an IVF cycle. Um, or whatever it is for people that can't afford it. So that's a great charity. There's also a charity, like if you're Jewish, um, and they will cover some of it. Um, but it's really, the unfortunate thing is that insurance right now, some insurance is progeny. They might cover a little bit of it. But I think it's really frustrating that like fertility isn't like a elective. This is I know, not a it's literally job, considered, you know? considered elective.
0: Like, I've, never, I've never had a single dollar paid for yeah. or covered, not a single cent, until I actually just learned... Last week in my writer's room, from a writer I had never knew this that Writers Guild Insurance um, uses carrot fertility, yeah, yeah and, carrots like progeny, yeah. Okay, so carrot. I guess they they're gonna like reimburse me thirty thousand dollars of um, fees. I didn't yes. have any idea that I even existed. It's the first dollar that'll ever get covered.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Progeny carrot. Um, and it's it's hard to come by these insurances are not always the case. I know some of the big news networks also offer it, but it's really, I think, a challenge that more accessible insurance companies don't offer it just because, you know, it should be a medical necessity for us to have the right to get fertility treatment if we're not able to have kids. So I think the cost is hard, but if you can, you know, if you know ahead of time and you can apply for some of these grants, I think it's helpful. Um, and I'm hopeful that things, there will be more, um, there will be more opportunities for philanthropy in this area to raise money for people, you know, to use surrogates, to use donors, to use, to do IVF because it is costly. And it's, Mm -hmm. that's a really unfortunate part about it is that not everybody can afford it, but so, you know, it didn't go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just gonna say, I think we've
0: somehow skipped over, um, Explaining exactly what it is that you do for people who are going through this process. <laughs> yeah. So there's, yeah, I, it's a very overwhelming process. Can you just totally, explain yeah. exactly what your role is for women? Yeah, I'm sorry, I could
1: talk about this for days. This whole, I know, this it's, whole
0: subject. So it's like there's so many things. I'm the interviewer,
1: so it's my fault. and uh, well, Um. So yeah. So really, you know, so I have a concierge service, um, you know, working with people who are using surrogates or using donors, egg or sperm. Um, I also am starting to help people with infertility as well. Um, So it all looks different depending on what your journey is. But most time people come to me in the beginning of their process, where they've been told that they need to use a surrogate, they need to use a donor. And so essentially, what I do is I start with kind of helping them build their team if they don't have one. So usually they have a a doctor, and you know, but I'll help with referral sources if they need to an attorney. Um, and you know, and we start there, and then at that point, regardless of whether they're looking for an egg donor, a sperm donor, um, you know, I talk to them at length about like what's important to them, what they're looking for. Because for me, I really want them to be as comfortable as possible. Um, you know, it's not about matching as quickly as possible. I mean, of course, that's the idea because a lot of agencies for surrogacy, surrogacy at least have long waiting lists. So for me, um, you know, I have agency relationships that ideally make it a shorter wait time. Uh, So that's one of the components of it. But I start with helping people find a surrogate um, and a donor through agencies. Um, I have relationships with a variety of agencies. I don't source the donors or surrogates myself, unless I'm working with like a sourcing company. Um, And, you know, that's an option too, which I sometimes do um, in addition. Um, But I help people start there. So we look for a surrogate and a donor. I work very closely with you know the doctor to send over medical records, make sure that um, that donor or surrogate the records look okay medically. Um, then we usually go on to like a, a match call with the donor. It's a little bit different because a lot of times it's anonymous. Um, but you know, make sure that the person is a right fit, is the right on the same page with the surrogacy. If it ends up being like a relationship, what kind of relationship is it with the donor? Is it open? Is it closed? What kind of things are important? What do we think about? you know, I I kind of have a sense usually of what their doctor, what's important to them medically. So I can help them kind of screen that first. Obviously, I don't have the medical records, but I can kind of like first know the parameters about what's important. And just kind of too, like, because I've been through it, because I know the industry kind of talking through, like, what are the factors to think about? Because a lot of people when they're looking for a donor or surrogate, they're like, I don't know, other than like, I want the surrogate to be responsible or I want the donor to look like me, like what what's important. And so kind of sort of going through that and like, you know, the options of like the way it can look and and what's important, uh, you know, and for people with donors, like, do they want one child? Do they want more? Do they want them to be genetically related? Um, you know, do they want to be able to re- reach the donor if, God forbid, there's a medical issue with the child? How do we do that? Um, and I, you know, so typically I'm, you know, working closely with the HIPAA, of course, with the doctor, with the attorney's office, just kind of being their liaison and point person for all, for all the things so that they have like kind of one person that can help them put it all together, help them with decision making. You know, of course, I'm not giving legal advice or medical advice, but I, if we do need to kind of talk to the lawyer or talk to the doctor, kind of helping facilitate that, um, in addition to kind of really just trying to make it all digestible and not as overwhelming and taking it step by step. And also, you know, I I do like to be available in the sense that it's not just like, okay, you know, 10 to five, if we have something, let's schedule a meeting, but like pretty available to my clients when they feel overwhelmed, or if they want to kind of talk through something, just because having had this experience as a therapist and gone through it myself, I have a lot, a lot of bandwidth for people's experience. And so when people are like, no, not that surrogate, no, not that donor. Like for me, it feels like I'm not like, can we just, you know, I'm like, I get it. It. I want this to feel right for you. That is like my sole mission in this is for people to get to a place where they feel fulfilled in what is such can be a difficult process. So I just want people to really be able to have the process where they can alleviate their anxiety and not feel as overwhelmed. So get to, so that they can kind of get through the hard parts and the struggle, because there are hard parts to be able to get to the point of being happy and being excited and being able to enjoy the anticipation of a potential baby and, Mm -hmm. you know, having hope that they're doing this a way that's different. That's not their body. That's not the way they've done it before that, you know, will hopefully likely provide a different kind of outcome. Mm
0: -hmm. So you help also just in the sense of reframing it for them so that they don't have to be so depressed about it.
1: Yeah. And also when they are depressed, I try and help them deal with that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I kind of, It's kind of all over the board, but essentially, you know, for me, it's providing the concrete support and like, okay, there's an obstacle. Let's face it. Let's get it figured out. Or, you know, okay, this is what we need to do. This is like what you need to focus on in this moment. I'll do the rest. Or, okay, we have a concern. Let's ask the doctor. Let me get to the lawyer. Let me get you an answer. Let's talk about it. So it's not like, you know, people can do this without me. Like, this is obviously an extra. And so I understand that this isn't like a mandatory thing. And I tell people that. But if you are somebody who wants someone to kind of deal with a lot of these things for you, and you are somebody that wants somebody to hold your hand, kind of like a doula or a partner in this, like that's kind of how I see myself as somebody who's going to be a partner in addition to your partner if you have one, and really guiding you through the process. It's not therapy, but at an emotional level and also at the concrete level of like, you know, whether it's obstacles, whether it's finding something, whether it's figuring it out, you know, I really like to, to be that person to like get it done, you know, and, and help you through that.
0: It's amazing. It's really cool. Um, this question came in, how is the best, how is best to support a friend who is dealing with fertility issues and not be condescending?
1: Aaron, it's what you and I were talking about. <laughs> not telling them not to stress. Yeah, just please <laughs> no, don't I mean, tell is... them
0: to not think about. It. Don't say anything that puts it yeah. on them. And I mean, sorry, I, I know the question's for you. Um, no, and also, you, don't you know act like. But and also, don't act like you know what's going to happen, right? Like, don't say it's going to work out. You're going to be a, you know, you're going to, you're going to get pregnant. And don't say, um, don't think about it, or go on vacation, or stop thinking about it, or stop trying so hard. Like that is so hurtful. Totally. Or.
1: Susie down the street did this and she got pregnant. So maybe you should do that.
0: By the <laughs> way, like, that's
1: such a good no. point
0: because people <laughs> don't realize that when someone says, oh, you know, my friend's sister, uh, she went to this acupuncturist and she got pregnant. And then you go to the acupuncturist and you don't get pregnant and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Or like so-and-so drank this fertility smoothie every day and she got pregnant. It's like, I, I know it's trying to be helpful, but it just makes you think no. that if you do that, it's going to work for you too.
1: Yeah. And in that moment, you're like, mazel to her. You know what I mean? Like, great. But that doesn't mean it's gonna work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say just like, with anything, you know, whether it's somebody going through infertility or grief, you know, sometimes it's hard to know what to say. I mean, we all struggle with that. Because sometimes there are no things to say, you know, someone loses a per- person in their life. It's like, sometimes there just isn't a way to make it better. And I think that that's something that is helpful for people to just know, like, you don't need to make it better. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to make fe- somebody feel you know, more positive or more helpful. I think sometimes the best thing you can do is allow someone to be where they're at. And so, you know, instead of kind of trying to say like, oh, it'll happen, it'll happen, or maybe try this, maybe try this. You know, it's not about the solution. Sometimes it's about just seeing and hearing them and, you know, trying to show them that you are here. And maybe the best way sometimes to do that is just to say like, you know, things like, I'm sorry, you're going through this. And I can't imagine what this is like. And, you know, that must be so unfair. And sometimes asking when we don't know, like, how can I support you? Like, I love you. I want to support you. And I don't know the best way. And so please tell me what I can do that might be helpful. And people might not know, but like, you know, can I give you a hug? Can I, you know, come over and bring, you know, some ice cream? Can we go for a beach walk? Can we, you know, whatever it is, is there something that I can do? Can, you know, how, what is it? What is it that you need in this moment? Yeah, And I think you can never go wrong.
0: I think that's good advice. I remember my little sister said to me one time, like after I'd gotten bad news, she was like, do you want me to call you right now and talk to you about it? Or do you want me to call you right now and gossip about something? And I said, I want you to call me and gossip about something. I do not want, just make me laugh. Like, I don't want to talk about this. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's no going back. So I do not want to like, you just lament about it when you can't change it, you know? So sometimes just getting someone's mind off of it is great.
1: Yeah and people and that's exactly you know my best friend what has been going through this as well Um, from childhood. And it was the same for her. You know, she had a really disappointing uh, failed transfer. And it was the same for her. She was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want you to say I'm sorry. I don't want to. I just don't. Like, let's just talk about the concretes." So I called her and I was just like, hi. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, I think people just will tell you, I think, where they're at. And I think you can never go wrong with just saying, like, I am sorry. I am here for you. I love you. Yes. when all else fails. I
0: agree. Um okay, let me look at some of these other questions. Well, one is how to keep a marriage strong amongst fertility issues, <laughs> which I mean it's such a broad
1: thing. Yeah. You know, it's tough. I think, you know, everybody experiences this differently, but it it can be very hard on a relationship for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, it's us women that have to go through the hormonal part of it. And hormones for some are easy. For others, it makes you like a psychotic person, you know, like not yourself. Like when I went through this, I was a shell of myself and a complete psycho, you know. Especially so if you're a makes- psycho before the hormones like I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. It just like exacerbated the crazy. Yeah. Like being like a Jew, I'm neurotic anyway. So like <laughs> it just basically my husband would tell you like, it just like took you from a from a <laughs> six to a 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, so there's that component. And then there's also the thing of like, you know, it's a different kind of investment for us. Um, you know, assuming that it's, it, it's a couple who, you know, male, female, it's a different kind of investment for us because we're dealing with our body stuff. We're dealing with our hormones. There's also, you forget like a lot of life stuff, right? There's job stuff, there's relationship stuff. There's There's so many things in life that are stressful that like, fertility and ongoing treatments becomes a lifestyle, right? It stops you from traveling. It stops you from feeling good. It stops you from being able to be happy. There's so many things that, like, it becomes a lifestyle that can sometimes become really hard on two people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have appointments, you want support. But, like, for me, you know, my husband was working. There was a lot going on. And, like, he couldn't do all the surrogacy stuff sometimes. And so sometimes there were times when I had to go. And, like, you know, so I think sometimes the friction of, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And also, too, like, people have different feelings. Two humans have different experiences of the same thing and different feelings. And so, I think sometimes that also is difficult because two people are going through things, but sometimes in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And so what that leads to is sometimes it's challenges. Like when, for example, like you have you know two siblings who maybe lose a parent. Both of those siblings are going to go through it in a different way. And so sometimes it creates a closeness, but sometimes it can create a divide. And I think it's the same thing with fertility. It's like people are both going through things, but like sometimes it does create that divide. Mm, And so- Totally.
0: Like there's sometimes Simon wants so much information. Like if something goes bad, like, okay, let's call the doctor. Let's have a conversation. I'm like, I don't want to fucking do that because what's done is done. And it's behind us now. And I got to look forward. I don't want to have another conversation. So, you know, I would say as someone who's been going through it, like keeping yourselves on the same side of it and remembering that you're both going through the disappointment and that- And I think looping your partner into as much of what you're going through is so helpful because, you know, it is hard on, if your partner is is a man, it's really hard because listen, they don't have our body parts. They don't have our our same hormones. They don't have our same feelings and emotions and, 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 they, don't, they, they also don't know what to say sometimes. And so I, like, to me, I think it's really helpful to clue them in. I like to say, I'm feeling really hormonal right now or like I'm having hot flashes and I feel like I'm going insane or I, like, my skin is crawling in my body. I don't feel good in my body. I feel gross. I feel fat. Like, these things are, I think, helpful to just be as communicative as possible so that they actually like, understand what you're feeling and what you're going through so that you're not like keeping them in the dark.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, people cope in different ways. And like, you know, for you in that moment, what you needed was just to kind of like get some distance. And that's a lot of times when people go through this and we have disappointments, that's what we need. We need a beat, you know, because it's just, we just, we've gone through this whole thing. We've gone through this retrieval. We didn't get what we wanted. And we're like, it's just, you just feel like, I can't, like, I don't want anything to do with this. I just, just, I just, I need distance. And, you know, sometimes for them, they're like, well, I want information. Like, I'm a guy. Like, I want to understand. I want to. And it's just so people are on different pages. So Mm -hmm. you're right. I do think it's always helpful to let someone know how you're feeling because they, especially for men, they may not be able to fix it, but maybe they can be there for you in a way that would be helpful for you. And that's also why I think sometimes if you can afford it or if it's doable, like for us, like, you know, sometimes couples therapy, not even for long term always, but just to kind of like navigate sometimes through these things is helpful sometimes to have a mediator to be like, okay, this is what it's like for you and this is what it's like for you and how can you support each other? Mm-hmm. Because when we're triggered while we're going through something, it's really hard to be present for someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: agree.
0: I have a question. Like, do you feel like this area is regulated enough? Like, I wonder about sperm donors and then all these like half siblings being in the same city and like what if they end up dating each other and egg donors giving a lot of eggs and like, I mean... Obviously it's a, it's a positive thing that this is happening, but is there enough regulation to make sure that we don't find ourselves in a precarious
1: situation? You know, I think so. I mean, of course you, you know, it's hard to escape, like knowing that, you know, with 23 and me and things like that, there could be other siblings out there, you know, Um, with sperm donors, there's a bit of a it's been a bit of a challenge for some people because sperm banks have, you know, traditionally been the only option. And now there are starting to be options that are similar to egg donation, where it's like more of a, you know, thing where you can kind of do it from scratch, do the screening, you have pictures, adult pictures, you know, and that's a whole different road of kind of things that are happening right now. But I do think like once you're involved and you see the process, you know, from a medical perspective, if you work with a really great doctor, there is a lot. That's put into the screening. Um, Legally, there's a lot put into it. There's so many people involved. I think if you work with a really reputable agency, there's other things you can do too to like do your own screenings if you want. Like there's genetic counseling because there's different aspects. Like if you use a donor, like there's family history, which is genetic counseling, which gets a full family history. And then there's genetic testing to make sure that both people aren't a carrier for the same thing. So, you know, there's also psych. And so there's, you know, people. You do have the option sometimes, at least for my clients sometimes, who want to use, you know, their doctor's preferred people or my my preferred people to do those screenings. So there's a little bit more peace of mind and an additional level. Um, but I would say there is. I mean, I would say the one thing, like you said, is like a lot of times egg donors are doing this more than once. So there are, you know, the potential of siblings but I would say that there are a lot of like regulations. There's FDAs that have to be done not once, but twice to make sure that there's like, you know, no medical issues or nothing that like could get in the way of a healthy, you know, a healthy baby. And um, so I do think that there's a lot of regulations and things put in place for these, for it to be done safely, especially if you're using, you know, a really great, which I'm sure most people are, fertility doctor and lawyer to kind of make sure your bases are covered in all those ways. Right.
0: Okay, well, we are over an hour now and I have asked all the questions that I wanted to know. Um, Are there other things that you think come up for people you talk to who have questions that we haven't covered
1: um, you mean like in regard to fertility or third party? Or Allison, do you have anything? No, I was
2: going to say maybe if there's questions that I think we had talked about this a little bit that people should ask their doctors or like they, that might not be so obvious.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you're thinking about wanting to understand your fertility more, maybe you're single and, you know, you haven't met the right person or maybe you are in a relationship and you're not ready to have kids or maybe you want to have kids on your own, like whatever route you want to take. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to, you know, get information always. So I think, you know, starting with asking your OB, you know, can you check my levels? Can you check where I'm at with my fertility, where I'm at with my ovarian reserves? You know, the labs, I just want to understand. And then, you know, just kind of exploring what your potential options are. Um, You know, there's always an option of egg freezing. There's always, you know, options to take certain, um, and supplements, it can be helpful. Acupuncture, you know, Eastern medicine, things that can be really helpful to help with your fertility. Um, You know, like I said, if you do think you have a possibility of endometriosis, not letting that go untreated. Um, And, you know, knowing that you can always meet with a fertility doctor and, you know, do a consultation. I mean, I think the reason a lot of people don't, and I can say this for me, is out of fear because sometimes it's easier to have an Feel have an un, sense of unknown than to fear that you know and it's not good, right? So I I notice a lot sometimes women as they get older are like, okay, yeah, I just I don't want to go in and have the fertility doctor tell me like it's all over for you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sometimes people don't get the information for that reason, but just know that like there is hope. Like even if your numbers aren't as good as you thought they might be, there are always things that you can do. There are always people that you can talk to, and so I think. Having the information, even if it's scary, will make you feel that you have choices, you know, that you have choices about like, you know, do I want to do the eggs? Do I want to make embryos? You know, if I can't afford it, are there supplements? Are there, is there acupuncture? Is there diets? Are there things I can do to kind of work on my egg quality? Um, you know, if I want to have a baby on my own, what does that look like? Um, if I need to save money for some of these treatments, I want to have time to do it, you know, potential third party. If I want to apply for a grant, you know, Having the opportunity to do that. So I think just knowing that, like, you know, and you can say to your doctor, like, if you do see a fertility specialist, like, listen, I want to know what this looks like. I don't, I'm trying to be positive and I don't want to come in and, and, you know, be scared, but I also want to take my health and my fertility into my own hands. And I want to get information. Um, and so, you know, I want to kind of get these numbers done, maybe do an ultrasound, get a look take a look at what I look like and start planning. Because I think whenever we're armed with information, it gives us security in 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 the known. Even if sometimes it might not be what we want to hear, you know, there are options and there are things we can do. And so I think kind of advocating for ourselves is super important, especially because maybe it changes your choices. You know, maybe with more information, you're like, okay, maybe there is an openness to doing it sooner. Or maybe there is an openness to like making embryos with the person that you're with or whatever it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it doesn't. But either way, I think having the information is so important because a lot of the women I talk to get to the point where they start trying and maybe they're in their mid or late 30s. And then all of a sudden they're thinking like, oh, "My, I didn't know that I didn't have as many eggs left or I didn't know I have endometriosis and I have to have surgery. And I had no idea, like, this feels like, why did anybody not tell me this? And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, doing those things proactively instead of, re- you know, reactively can be really important. And I think that, you know, for me, having kids later in life, I thought was going to be a nightmare, but it ended up being the right, you know, the right thing for my path. I, mm-hmm. you know, had a lot of work I needed to do in my career. I had, you know, I needed some time to meet the right person. I think the choice I made, you know, as an, in a little bit older was the right choice for me in terms of a partner. And, you know, you do notice that like, there are a lot of moms in, in community that are older, you know, I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm at 41, I have three and a half year olds. And, um, you know, I, I thought that it would be super hard. And sometimes with energy, it is because I'm like running after them being like, Oh, my gosh, I'm gonna have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I feel like, you know, it ended up being the right thing for my path. And, you know, career-wise for me, it was really important. So I don't necessarily regret anything. Um, I think the only thing I would do differently is having more information. So I didn't feel so caught off guard and, you know, that I was kind of stuck at a point with a lack of choices. Mm -hmm.
0: And are you able to be a liaison for people, whether it's surrogacy, egg donor, sperm donor, or adoption?
1: You know, adoption is very specific. So I don't work with adoption. Okay. Um, there are people who do, um, but it's kind of a very different process. Um, but I do work with people, donors, surrogates, and I'm also starting to help people just with, with fertility navigation. So like if you want to talk about like the questions asked your doctor, if you want referrals, if you want kind of like help going through the IVF process or the egg freezing process, kind of Aaron, what you were speaking to, of course, you know, I don't give medical advice, but like helping, like you said, with like you know, is this normal? What can I do? What are some referrals? What can I expect? Like, you know, what is this kind of translating? Like, this is what I was told. What does this mean? Kind of just helping people, you know, in in that way too from a fertility perspective. But adoption's mm-hmm. a little bit separate. But there are people too who are exploring that route, which I also think is incredible. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, I think that the work you're doing is really um, important and very specific. And there's a lot of women who feel very alone in the process, like I said. And so helping people navigate this um, this thing that we're, unfortunately faced with so many of us um, is really helping a lot of people. And I think that we've informed um, I get so many people who write me and have questions and just feel like in the dark about so much. And so um, I think it's awesome what you're doing and grateful for it. And thank you so much for talking to us about it and shining a light on it.
1: Of course, you know, it's just it's a personal thing for me like I said, like having gone through it and having like such a special place in my heart for, you know, wanting to give back. And I would encourage anybody who's going through this whether it's like third party, whether it's infertility, you know, try and 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 get in touch with somebody who's gone through it, who's been through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's helpful, was so helpful for me for getting information, for connecting as hard as it is to talk about it. I think, you know, it's really helpful. So if you can, you know, maybe you ask your doctor, maybe you ask your acupuncturist, maybe you ask friends, you know, Whatever way you can, it's really, really helpful to talk to people because yeah. it really does help you make you feel it really um, does. less alone.
0: Can you tell people how they can find you, how they can work with you, how they can hire you,
1: everything? Yeah, of course. So you can find me um, at, on my website, um, which I, there's a, a therapy website, but it's my com, which you can find me. Um, surrogacy, if
0: you by, surrogacy by sur- Marley and it's M-A-R-L-Y.
1: yeah. And then you can also find me, if you just look up Marley Steinman, it'll come up. Um, And then you can also find me on Instagram. I don't, I haven't, I'm just starting to use it for work. So it's a little bit less developed, but it's Marley, M-A-R-L-Y-S, Parisot, P-A-R-I-S-O-T. That's my very name. I kind of go back and forth. I'm like, haven't decided yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, you can reach out to me and listen, I'm happy to do consultations. I don't charge for initial, um, initial call and there's no pressure, you know, to work with me. If it's not the right route, I'm happy to give you referrals, um, and do whatever it is I can. Um, but you know, those are the ways that you guys you know, can reach me if you need to. Amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to just kind of, you know, talk you through it to see if it might be a fit.
0: That's amazing. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much, Marla. You're amazing. And um, I'm very excited for people to get to learn more about this and hear on the episode.
1: Of course, Erin. And thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast. I'm so excited and happy to be on. And I just really appreciate chatting with you today. Thank so. you. Okay. Bye. Of Bye. If you like this podcast,
0: you written I love you.
2: This podcast is executive produced can by Do not use that voice. I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by
0: can you do you have a normal voice? Yeah.
2: Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. Bresnik. Okay, I'll take over. Our,
0: Our associate, associate producer is Montana McBurney See? Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by
2: Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.